Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the show. This is 360 Performance. I'm your host, Dr. Whiteman, also known as Coach. We've got a great show today. Some really wonderful performance things happened this week. And as you know, every week on 360 Performance, we talk about performance and, and how to do that in a way that really fits you, that brings out the best of who you are so that you can deliver all those great and wonderful skills that uh, define and separate you from anybody else. So good morning on a Friday. It's uh, October 22nd. It's a great day. We're going to talk a little bit about some key people that have uh, demonstrated uh, performance and performance issues. So our theme today is mental performance coaching. What is it? What are some examples of it? And maybe how would you be able to get a hold of that kind of stuff? But let me start the show like we do every week with a quote, our mindset moment that we put out there every week. This week, it's about asking questions and inquiring. So here's the quote. Now more than ever, we need to talk to each other, to listen to each other and understand how we see the world. And cinema is the best medium for doing this. So says Martin Scorsese. I listen, I don't disagree with him because the storytelling, the depth and the breadth because of the technology we have these days can bring color and shape and form to the screen as though you're almost there. It's like sitting into it. And the, the audio that goes with that, that brings the sounds to us, just captures all of what goes on. And in today's world, with the challenges we have, and listen, we're not out of the woods yet. And in, in fact, we may never be out of the woods as far as it relates to doing a good effort at dealing with the challenges we have. We have new challenges. So let me just restate this quote again. Now more than ever, we need to talk to each other, to listen to each other and understand how we see the world. And cinema is the best medium for doing this. So says Martin Scorsese. Gosh, that's a great quote. As I bridge from there, let me just go right into what I'm grateful for. We try to start our show every week with uh, gratitude. We ask our guests that. We get them to share with us as well. But I'm grateful for the fact that my brain and my body are working together pretty well. They're still pretty connected. Well, most of the time. <laughs> may have people that would disagree with me. But there are moments uh, when the brain and body, B&B, connects it could be a little suspect. You know, you're wondering, oh, geez, did I really get it all connected the way I wanted to? One of the strategies I use, even though I'm very, very grateful for the connections I have, I'm delivering great moments to people that ask me for support. I use these things. I first try to slow down. And in that slowing down thought, I breathe. I breathe through my nose and out through my mouth. We've talked about it on the show routinely about being connected with your five senses so that you can regroup and reconnect to what is necessary. Yeah, basically, that's adapting and adjusting. Your preparation sets the stage for you to be able to adapt and adjust. As our theme continues with mental, co mental performance coaching, we're going to define what it is. Within that definition, we talk about resiliency. In the corporate world, there's a word that gets buzzed around a little bit. It's agile, the word agile. And many times what's associated with that word agile is influencer, disruptor. Which one of those are you? Or perhaps you're both. I tend to think that we have both of those in us, but we need to discover to what degree are the influences of being an influencer and a disruptor actively engaged in impacting our performance? Because many times when it doesn't go the way you want to, that's a test of your resiliency. My belief is before corporations can have a dialogue about 
well, and even individuals, but in group settings and businesses, before they can have a dialogue about resiliency, being agile, who are my influencers, where are my disruptors, got to measure it. You've got to be able to have some coaching insights on what's the agenda? What do we need to train? Who in our organization has a higher degree of resiliency than somebody else? That gap alone starts to define what we have to do as an organization to begin to train ourselves. Well, in the world, as you know, we in the world of sports, I use examples and metaphors in the world of sports. And just like in a competitive game, there are moments where you have to take a break and, and re recover. And I'm going to do that. I'm going to take a sip of water, just a brief one. Because interestingly enough, with the wonderful blue skies we have here today and the, the coolness of the air, we've got a little warm day today. Not too warm, but reminiscent of that crispness of the fall. It dries you out, gets you kind of, you know, in need of some fluids. Hydrate, hydrate, as they say here in the mountain states. So as we move into looking at mental performance coaching, I want to focus primarily on an organizational viewpoint. So the, from a business analytics and processes standpoint, there's a quote from Isaac Asimov that says, true delight is in the finding out rather than the knowing. And that's process. As we look at mental performance coaching and we go through as a coach, try to begin to strategize and create our plans for interacting and, and training our staff, our employees, our players, the athletes on the competitive uh, field, we have to look at our structure and how information, communication and in that information flows. What kind of benefits and objectives are we looking at? What's the scope of what we're doing? Now in, in sports, all of these things are pretty finite. They're, they're really crisp. It's just like, look at, there's the goalpost. There's the other goalpost. Here's these markers on the field that tell us what to do. In basketball, you have the similar things. Tennis, there's all these guidelines within the environment. Well, business, life in general, is not that easily demarcated. The environments aren't always clearly understood. Well, traditionally, we've had images of organizational structures that are pretty much top-down oriented. Leadership flows from there, you know, inculcates everything, brings it all through, and makes the adjustments and the adapt adaptations, right? Well, that's changing. When people start thinking about being mentally prepared and that B&B, &B, that brain-body connection, we start having to look at many more possibilities of what we're doing. With those possibilities, the organizational structure of a hierarchical process may in fact tend to be not the most optimal one to pick. It becomes more like a circle, more like a flow chart of, of circular movement. So when you look at organizational structures, what's the what are the differences, right? Well, we've got the traditional one. As I said, there's that hierarchical thing where we have management, leadership, if you will, ownership, depending on the legal structures. It is a solely owned entrepreneurial organization or is it a business corporation that sells stock, private versus public. But in most cases, we've grown up with a more triangulated kind of look, top down, and it flows from there. That structure historically has created a, a my way or the highway thinking. You know, there's also those theories of theory X versus theory Y, which for all intents and purposes, is my way or the highway decision-making from the top down. You've got the connections. You know, there's the comments about solid line versus dotted line responsibility. For me, that was the beginning when they started interjecting a dotted line responsibility from one department head to another staff person. They started to kind of touch on that more flexible, fluid, flow-like structure that began to fit itself into a circle. So we've progressed from the more traditional stuff into a framework that is kind of circular. 
where all the circles of influence are connected. Now, what does that do? Well, it makes us a little bit more agile as a management team, and our focus becomes on who are we serving, customers, participants, players, and the speed with which we can interact with them. It becomes a little bit more in its flexibility, dynamic in its fluidity, so that outcomes are that not only are we quick to pivot because of our agility and the flexible flow of that structure, be it in a circle, we are also able to adapt much more quickly with change and possibly more creatively. Our innovation is at lightning speed. Now that is done and said with comparison. It's, I'm not just saying it off the top of my head, imagining right here in this time. I've looked at this, I've practiced it in my own mental performance practice of coaching. It truly does work. For me, metaphorically, but in real terms as well, it's manifested itself routinely through sports and high-speed activities. And, and sometimes it's not sports. One of those is in the financial service world. If you go to the trading floors in the Chicago Exchange, or New York and Wall Street, you'll see some very, very fast performance, highly detailed transactions with some of it's been replaced with uh, an automated process. But nonetheless, it's still very quick, very fluid. And flexibility is a needed commodity when you're a trader on the trading floor. So that's where I would say on the business side is a great example of the B&B, &B, the brain-body connection, making sure that your awareness of your environment enables you to continue to maintain that high level of performance of the brain-body connection so that you can deliver regardless of what the obstacles might be. Your resiliency is quick to snap back. I think you may have heard me say this before about my diagram for resiliency. My model for resiliency is the Pillsbury Doughboy. You know, you push your finger in, you know, depending on how far it is and that depth of how far you push it in is the amount of obstacles, the amount of challenge you have, the amount of change you have is how deep does your finger go into the doughboy. If the doughboy is resilient, he'll pop right back really quickly. But if he's having that little slow day, a little tough, you know, maybe he's a little exhausted, partied too hard the night before, maybe he doesn't come back as fast. So there are some things that we can evaluate and measure even about our capacity to be resilient. So we know, oh, you know, if I've got a big presentation the next day, I might want to get some rest, get some food in me, not push myself too far too late the night before I do my presentation. Those are all examples of being an agile management team or agile organization because you're focused on the speed to which you want to deliver to those customers and participants. As I say that, I want to make sure that we, we keep a broad perspective of performance. As I, as I set you up with that, let me just break for just a second and say good morning again to everybody. All right, so that being said, in Colorado, we've got a great day here too as well. Wonderful blue skies, about a 70 degree temperature, having some fun. Well, I had some fun last night. I was watching some games last night and I was reminded that regardless whether it's a traditional organizational structure or you've got a flexible flow-like structure, we still have the need to have decision makers. Somebody who the buck stops here kind of thing. They've got that placard on their desk, right? And that, that behavior in itself, that agreement to have a decision maker is essential. Now, it represents a hierarchical pattern, you know, top down, right? Up above, that's the leader. Everything flows up to them. They make a decision. Well, decisions still need to be made, even in these circular formats, these more connected bubbles of influence that are reminiscent of an agile organizational structure. 
in within each bubble, within each circle, there needs to be a hierarchical awareness to who's going to make the decision. Somebody is going to have the buck stops here. Now, they may do it with more of a consensus, but they're going to get that done. So the hierarchy is still needed in organizational structures. It's just going to get, I believe it should be placed in different places within organizational structures, but a clear understanding of what's going on. So one of those things we need to do is teach and train people about mental performance coaching so that they get that brain-body connection. Now, it could be in a classroom. It could be on a one-on-one kind of scenario. It could be on a global setup with Zoom and, and vehicles like that. We've, we can connect hundreds and thousands of people together virtually in what, what used to be the traditional seminar, you know, the keynote speaker kind of things. I've got colleagues of mine that make a living out of being a keynote speaker. Their whole worlds have been turned upside down. But Regardless of that, the process of teaching, training, and communicating needs to continue now more with an awareness of the B&B, the brain-body connection, making sure that that happens. When you look at the results of what you're doing, regardless of a traditional uh, organizational structure or that more fluid flowing uh, process of of an agile organizational structure, what's the definition of success? How do you know? How do you know if you're a winner or not? A couple things I'm gonna share with you. One One of those is making sure you get prepared. Your preparation is still, regardless of the organizational structure you might find yourself uh, participating in, you've got to be prepared. It's obvious from historical results who you know are the ones who prepare the best. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure I, I caveat that by saying this. Look, at the traditional mindset is, it used to be, oh, if that so-and-so is working late, they work late every day of the week, they're always here, you can always count on them for insightful answers. The amount of time does not directly relate to your preparedness. In fact, in some cases, if you spend too much time preparing, you may diminish other characteristics and skills and traits that you have to be able to be successful. You might be too tired. You may not eat enough. You may not get fluid and stay hydrated. All of those things play into being prepared. It's also important to know your unique characteristics of preparedness. Not everybody's the same. Some people need to put more time in because that's what's necessary for them to understand what their preparedness does for their ability to release their intangibles, the stuff that they uniquely bring to a situation that others may not have. And intangibles are not directly associated automatically with the elite performers. You can be an elite performer in a group of elite performers and all of them have intangibles, but the intangibles may not be the same for each one of them. And they may deliver those intangible skill set traits and behaviors at the most interesting of times. So preparation and intangibles are two of the characteristics. And the other one, I could have said this a different way, but I called it no stress to success. Do the things that are necessary to keep the people and things that may trigger you into coping behaviors. Basically, when that happens, you're, you're kind of in a stressed position. Well, you want no stress. Know what those people and things are so that when you have those high output opportunities to deliver elite outcomes, you're ready to go. You're ready to deliver. So it could be, you know, when I was a kid, I was a boxing fan and movies used to talk about, no, hun, I can't, I can't go home tonight. I'm going to the hotel. I need to separate myself from you and I. We can't have an intimate moment. It may take my legs out. So no stress could be family. Push the family to the side. Uh, Lovingly push them to the side. Identify those people and things that that are sources of the stressors that may get in the way of you uh, delivering the optimum 
outputs for you to deliver the elite outcomes for success. And then we have, as I said, with the corporation, corporate structures, an agile corporation, your own personal agility, which is the, the, the focus of your ability to adjust and adapt, which then leads to resiliency, is a key thing. What are my agile skills? In what areas can I have high agility? Like, for, here's a simple example for me. My wife is a CPA. There's a calculator device called a 10 key. Very simple little calculator that accountants can just look up, look at the computer screen and be calculating stuff because they memorize the keyboard. It's a 10 key. Well, my agility through my preparedness and in the intangible I bring to the table, which is not stressful for me at all, is I can do math in my head. I can do it faster than my wife, the CPA, can do it on her 10 key. And she's pretty, pretty fast. She's physically agile on her 10 key. But everybody's different. Everybody has a different set of skill sets that are the intangibles that define and represent them, but also can be part of their agility. Knowing what they those are as a coach allows you to make the necessary substitutions, create the teams and the units for different tasks that are, are the essential ones that when brought together really represent the success that you prescribe for yourselves. And then lastly, it's that cl collective, bring it together, collaborate through your communication, even as a part of your preparation. So notice what I'm doing here. Don't separate these five different success checkpoints. Put them together as a collective. Know that you need all of them present. You need the preparation to deliver the intangibles. Know that when you're, what's the right timing to bring your, your intangibles to bear through a no stress, stress, stress mindset and, and mindfulness so that you truly can be agile and pivot at a moment's notice regardless of what the obstacle is that causes you to adapt and adjust. And to do that, you really need a team. I mean, even in individual sports and individual specializations in work or career, you can identify other people and things you collaborate with to really bring it together. And recently this week, there was a great example of all of these success parameters. And it came in the form of Chris Taylor with the Los Angeles Dodgers. Last night was an amazing game. An 11-2 win by the Dodgers to keep them in the hunt for the National League Championship. And Chris contributed, not just in this game. He contributed to get them to this series with a walk-off home run against the San Francisco Giants in the sixth and final game. It was awesome to see what he did. And he said, <laughs> which was very interesting to me, he said to, the, to uh, one of the sports interviewers, he said, I just tried to blank my mind, not overthink. Just tried to blank my mind and not overthink. A no-stressor. Let's presume he was prepared because he's delivered historically before this that indicates he is prepared. His intangible is recognizing where he where he is at within the game and in that moment doing what is necessary. A great example of that was when Curtis Granderson, in the review of that last game of the wild card game, he said that the home run that Chris hit, Chris adjusted. He had swung a big, big sweeping swing for strike two the pitch before Curtis noted in the slow motion video he noted that Chris shortened his swing his practice swings and choked up a little bit and the next pitch was the home run that won the wild card game he knows himself he knows at what point does he need to be agile within the count whether it's him at the plate or him watching batter who, and by the way you, you should know this most outfielders have little cards that tell them about the hitters so when a certain pitch has been called they know what to expect that's how they get the shifts in the field to go so Chris makes these adjustments. He was, it just it makes me feel so good to hear athletes like Chris understand what their mastery of the game is. 
in game five, he demonstrated his lessons of how he masters himself to contribute to the game. And he draws upon, by the way, I should point out, I have some insight about Chris that not everybody has. He has to be able to say these things to you with some confidence. Chris is drawing upon all five of his senses. We talk about on 360 performance, we talk about the importance of your five senses. We call them the skills so that you can draw upon those five senses in order to calm you down. As Chris said in his quote, I just tried to blank my mind, not overthink. Now that's a statement that is indicative of him staying in the moment, knowing who he is, using that awareness of who he is to block out everything else that has nothing to do with the next pitch. Three home runs, six runs batted in. The kid went four for five. Amazing evening for him. And yet, in his discussions, he talked about collaborations with the interviewers. He said it was a team effort. A lot of great players contributed to that win in addition to Chris. Chris had a major contribution to the 11 runs, his contribution being six, along with three home with the three home runs, that hitting duel that gave him the ability to bring forward those six runs. Without him following, now he, he doesn't know about every one of these five success check marks. He does naturally and almost seamlessly practices every one of these. And the collaboration one is, is one of those. We don't always get good camera shots of the dugout of all the players and what's going on in the dugout. The, the reinforcers, the, the support of no stress, the reminders of preparation that players are giving one another in the dugout. And Chris is one of those. As I say that, I recall experiences with Chris where he's very quiet. He's a very introspective person. So to have him on camera with a microphone in front of him to speak so openly and vulnerably, you know, you could see the emotions, he was excited. That was just something to behold. But again, it reinforces what we're talking about here regarding the success uh, parameters. If you're looking for success, prepare. And in your preparation, identify what about who you are brings intangibles to the table, a uniqueness that identifies you amongst everybody else. And by doing that, you will in fact begin that no stressing behavior. You'll know when to breathe. You'll know when to rehydrate. You'll know when to shorten your swing, to put yourself in a good position, to be agile and respond in a way that delivers the prescribed outcomes that you want for you and those you collaborate with. Collaboration isn't just about you getting something from somebody else. It's about everybody connecting. That circle, that flow state, that fluidity of communication, it's a good thing. Congratulations, Chris Taylor and the Los Angeles Dodgers for Game 5 win. They're still down game one game, 3-2. to two. They've got two games to close out the seven-game, best-of-seven-game series that will be in Atlanta. Boy, good luck. Talk about challenges. The comeback kids are on the road again. And Chris Taylor is right amongst the performers uh, delivering the results. Oh, such a great game last night. So, continue to move on. Our theme today is about mental performance coaching. Mental performance coaching's primary objective Connect brain, body, B&B. Connect the B&B and make it work for you. So in an agile organization, remember we talked about the traditional triangle, triangular shape, top-down oriented organizations. They can be agile too. But the organizational structure gets in the way of it being as fast as it could be, as agile as it could be to pivot, to adjust and adapt to the changes that might come along. So there's more discussion about organizational structure as it relates to more of a circular geometric shape as the representative emblem for that. And that there's a connection from one circle to the next to the next. And each circle within an organization could be one person, or it could be a department, 
or part of a department, or it could be a special projects team. I fashion a, an object to represent a, an Agile organization as a geodesic dome. It's a dome made up of triangulated shapes. There you go. Traditional organizational structure, top down, put into a circular framework. Getting the best of both worlds, because remember what I said, hierarchy is not dead in the fluid, agile organizational structure. It's There still needs to be decision makers at certain points of a creative development of things. So well, how do you get to that? What, what do leaders need to do to really wrap their brain and their body around what I'm talking about structurally? Well, they gotta look below the surface. They gotta see what's up on top, as ominous as it might be, as perhaps scary and dangerous as it might be, make sure you're considerate of what could be below. Like the Titanic, the ship of the Titanic, they forgot that there was more of the iceberg below the surface than there was above. And it was, in fact, the iceberg shape below the surface that took them out. Being aware, being aware of what's below the surface is the first step that leadership can do to promote what's necessary in your awareness, your mindfulness about agile behavior. So. The coaching process and protocols need to be in place for you to get to an understanding of your agility and where are we aligned with the success parameters that we need to be uh, trained on to get where we need to go, maybe to avoid what's underneath the waterline. So one of those things is in that collaboration mode as an organization, identify your disruptors and your influencers. Let me make sure I'm clear on something. When I say the word disruptors, what does that mean to you? What is that first thing you feel? Disruptor, oh, disrupt, oh, shake it up, get in somebody's face, you know, really get agitate, you know. It tends to be stronger, more poignant, maybe even a little negative when you hear the word disruptor. I'm gonna ask you to think about it this way. Think of it as somebody who just asks a whole bunch of questions that never gives up. They're incessant. They just uh, at you, at you, at you, at you. And after a point, you start going, are your questions meant to improve? Or are your questions just to satisfy your need to be in a place to deliver what you want for you? That becomes a little bit duplicitous and not necessarily all that genuine. So disruptors, qualify them very carefully. Ask them questions about why are you doing this? Why are you asking that question at this time? Does it fall in line with what we're trying to promote? The awareness we're trying to get to within this very fluid and agile organization. Same thing could be true, said for influencers. An influencer, when you hear that word, influence, influence, make an impression, guide. And I didn't say guide to any degree, I just said guide somebody. Give them insights, train them, teach them. That could be an influencer, right? Well, yes, it could. But it also could be somebody who's pushing, pushing to the point of irritation. Now, does that mean they slip back into a disruptor zone? Maybe, maybe not. Bottom line is, in both cases, disruptors and influencers are part of organizational structures. There are people who are constantly getting after, constantly pushing the limits, because that's just who they are. That may, in fact, be their intangible. That may, in fact, be the way they need to get involved with their teammates and their organization to feel fulfilled and exercise their best. Mental performance coaching helps to identify the degree of being a disruptor, the degree of the influencer, so that your collaborations are well-oiled tools that put together the right people on the right team to go get that sale, to go out and get the ball back, influence and disrupt at the same time without getting a flag thrown, without breaking the law. You know who you, go, who you are going to substitute in for the game so that you create the results that you expect. Creativity 
as a part of what's below the surface is really an area of power for me. IBM has surveyed CEOs over the years. Year after year, one year in particular, creativity came up to the top as the one primary things that CEOs said I need to do better at. I need to want to put more of that into what I do and how I train and influence others. Now, regardless of a specific publication by IBM or all the publications they make on assessing CEOs, creativity is always there. Along with that collective of bringing folks together in a collaborative mindset, it's below the surface. Many times what you see is not what you get. You've got to dig deeper to see what and where is the power of creativity of the individual that's looking at you. I've told a story over the years about client relationship I had where regretfully a CEO your executive died unexpectedly via a heart attack. And in going to the wake and visiting the home of the widow and their family, I was in the den of the person who passed away along with the uh, CEO of the company. And there was a the mantle above the fireplace had all these wonderful uh, duck decoys. And one, you know, one could presume that whoever in the house that uh, brought those in was probably a duck hunter, right? The detail of the artistry of the designs of the ducks was just amazing color the the carvings were very detailed and precise about feather and about markings on the the ducks and geese there were some geese up there as well and i asked the uh, widow i said gosh where did where did you get those those are those are marvelous i, I might want to consider whoever you got those from as a source for a gift for somebody that i know loves to duck hunt and she said well and she kind of bowed her head she says regretfully that was my my husband he he loved to carve these these decoys and the ceo was standing next to me and, and he grabbed the back of my arm and i looked at him and he goes he says to me, he says, I had no idea how creative he was. I, I, I never had that level of communication to understand another level of collaboration with him. That was a sad and yet a very poignant moment for me about the strength of really understanding as a mental performance coach, who are these people? How do they participate both above and below the surface in their interactions? And more, most importantly, how do I communicate it? How do I share it with them? One of the ways I realized the necessity for communication is examining the commitment of each person within an organizational structure that I was dealing with. Their commitments, and on the surface, you, you measure commitment by, you know, how early do they come to work, how late do they go leave work, uh, how much do they participate in activities that aren't necessarily directly related to their job function, you know, like maybe a social function or participating in cards. I'm a big uh, recommender of cards, have uh, leadership and executives send cards to their staff and uh, the employees on special days and events, you know, like birthdays, anniversaries, things like that. Those are examples of commitment. But once again, below the ice, commitment below the ice, the commitment to know when's the right time to not push too hard, the commitment to be silent as a means to listen, the truest and purest definition of, of, of empathic listening. That's below the, that's below the line. That's below the waterline, the, below the surface, seeing the mass of the iceberg the real character of what's there. Those things begin to measure even more deeply the commitment of the individuals. Here's my major point. What we've said to this point is mental performance coaching examines above and below the surface. So if somebody says to you, I'm a mental performance coach and you've listened to me today, ask them questions. Be curious about how deep do they go below the surface to understand? How much do they want to know about you to really truly impact creatively a collaboration within yourself and your discovery of your degree of just being a disruptor, your degree of being an influencer, and the commitments you have to others in discovering what's below their waterline.
and underneath the surface. This is exciting stuff. I, I am mental performance coaching is such a great thing to see. And I, I've looked at it through the, the lens of athletics and entertainment, sports entertainment. It's part of any organization that's that's really striving to go the distance and really make it happen. This is a great quote from Vince Lombardi. And quite honestly, when I first saw this quote from Vince Lombardi, I go, really? Vince Lombardi said that. It just seemed out of character for him. He is such a such a tough guy, brimstone. You know, lots of volume, lots of mass, you know, more power than finesse. And so then he says some stuff like this. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. Now, when I first heard this Lombardi quote, I was, remi- I was reminded of what my grandfather said to me years ago. He said, and he always say, son. He'd say, son, if you strive for the top of the ice cream cone and the cherry that's on top, the worst thing you're going to do is fall in the whipped cream. And that's Vince Lombardi's quote. Perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. And when he says catch, I believe Vince Lombardi in the context in which he said it, catch it like a cold. It's not like catch it like an object. It's a feeling. We can catch the excellence. I can catch the feeling. And I believe Vince Lombardi, way before its time, was a mental performance coach. He thought about what were his players thinking. And by the way, if you, if you followed any of the history of Green Bay Packers and Vince Lombardi, Vince Lombardi was ahead of his time. He thought about his players, and I think he had to, and how they thought, how these players thought, because he had some malcontents. He had players, and this is back in the day when the leagues didn't have the rules they do now and are not as player association conscious as we are now. You know, guys would go out and just get hammered the night before a game because that's just part of it. Smoking, you know, everything that would take away your ability to breathe take away your ability to be conscious and reduce your oxygen intake, which would feed your brain to be sharp and clear. I mean, now we it, the shift is the night before you go to a hydration bar and put vitamin B12 in it, and get all amped up with great, great stuff. Or there's oxygen water. We are all over the top. But Vince Lombardi with this quote was dealing with the brain body connection. B&B Connect. He was there. His record shows he fell in the whipped cream more often than not. They delivered results. So here's some questions for you. When you are striving for perfection and hoping to catch excellence, are you asking questions to challenge that perfection? Are you being your degree of disruptor so that you then could, in fact, transition to being an influencer based on the questions and answers you get? Ask questions to challenge perfection. Don't presume. If you do, you're satisfied with the status quo. You're not striving for perfection if you don't ask questions. Everybody should ask questions within their scope of striving for excellence. With their scope of what is the definition of your intangible? How well did you prepare? Remembering everybody's different. Everybody brings their unique set of skills to the table. The issue is, do you know how to let them go and get released? Because excellence does not come for those who stop. If you're standing still, you're going to get run over. You got to keep moving. You got to keep looking. You got to enhance your scope of awareness and take it in so that you can adjust and adapt as things come at you. Now, in doing that, I want to say one thing about teams. As you, I said that many times, as you are looking for perfection, chasing perfection, you're going to catch excellence, but you're going to do it with other people. So your plans, your preparation, how you communicate, your method and actions for collaborating, do it with those you trust. Seek out those you trust. That's also movement of excellence that shows you you're not stopping. You're constantly looking for that pathway that fits with you, the best fit to you. 
and how you do things. We've talked about this often enough about when you start things, when you're, you're moving forward, you're not stopping, you have an end in mind, but with a gratefulness, a gratitude towards it. Like the little leaguer who is being guided by his dad or her, his mom, her mom, to, to strive to get to the World Series. They're, they're kids. They're taking guidance from mom and dad. But when gratitude is present in that interaction, with that end in mind, mom and dad are not having their agenda fulfilled. Their gratitude gives them abilities to understand their child. If you move up the ranks and the ages into higher levels of competition, the same thing is true for the mental performance coach. If you are putting forth your effort with a gratefulness and appreciation for the skill that's in front of you and a desire to understand this person deeply before, b- below the surface, you're not getting fulfilled through them. They are fulfilling you for what they need from you. They need to have you deliver that performance, that mental performance coaching so that you can f- truly understand your intangibles and you can have check, check, check off that list of measurements for success. It becomes a very important thing, but gratitude is a big part of what is involved with that. As I, as I think about this, I think about environments. Well, I'll come back to Chris Taylor. They're going to Atlanta. It's a different place. Now, they've been there before. It's not like it's totally unfamiliar to them. Two games. Two games. They've got to go undefeated to get to the World Series. Between you and me, just, just the small, you know, we're going to talk amongst ourselves here. I want to see it happen. I want to see the Dodgers go to the World Series. And it looks as though Houston is going to get past Boston. So guess what? This is payback time. And I'll, I'm just going to say it out loud. The cheaters are going to have payback. I was in the Houston Stadium. I was in Dodger Stadium when they played Houston and lost the World Series to Houston. It ain't going to happen this time. Comeback kids, I believe, if given the opportunity. And look, it's it's all predestined, if you will. I'm a fatalist. It, it, it will be what it will be. And it could be a uh, Houston Astros-Atlanta Braves series. And my brother would love it. My brother's an Atlanta Braves fan. But as much as I'm using baseball as an example to continue to point out gratitude, I'm also using it to talk about the environment and the influence of environments and how you can adjust and adapt yourself to an environment that's not unfamiliar. It's got, because of the competitive nature of things, it's got a structure to it that begins to take a life of its own. So when you go into an arena, an office, a boardroom, you know prior to arriving, there are conditions that you know are gonna be there. Energy is going to be high. The noises, the visions, the smells are all going to be just amplified, get rise up and get really big. That's when you need to prioritize your commitments to being fluid and stay in the flow state. Really touch your five senses in this environment. What you see, what you hear, what you smell, uh, taste is limit a little bit. There could be that as well for many of you. I know I've got a few athletes and executives that depending on what they eat before a game, it may stay in them or it may not. Uh, going back to some college game days with some football players, uh, one football player in particular, shout out to uh, Crockett Gilmore, that he, could, he couldn't eat anything really, he ate maybe a little fruit here and there, because if he, especially if he ate eggs, anything with, with a protein in it, like a steak, because we'd have steak and eggs at the beginning of a, in the morning before we'd bust over to the, to the stadium for the game. That, that's the kiss of death for him. He would chuck that up, and early in his career when he was really – not communicating as well. We weren't in a agile organizational structure. We weren't mental performance coaching was not part of his life because I wasn't there at that time. 
he would just do what the coaches said. It's high arc, right? Top, top, bottom. And he would eat it, and he would throw it up before he got on the bus. He just knew it was coming. And then as, as we, he got the influences of gratitude, of understanding, of being able to know the checklist of the successes and wrap them around him for him. He became a better player and a better person because of it, because people were listening. He didn't eat the eggs and the steak before the game, and he was better for it. And as a result, he became more prepared, better execution of the skills that he had naturally and enhanced those that he needed some help with. And as a result, became a professional football player and has done well. There are many examples like that in getting yourself ready for the arena. Beginning with the end in mind is part of that process with gratitude so that you can deliver the elite outcomes that are meant for you. Like we try to do here every week on a Friday at 11 o'clock. But when we do that, our mental performance and the strategies we share with you, we then put them on the digital medium, pop them up to the podcast platform feminine power get in touch enhance your performance with greater insight Uh, some insights on mental performance coaching what it means to connect with that in more of a kind of a think of a circle a circular way not that pyramid that triangle where it's top-down thinking you know my way or the highway you know yeah you might have a benevolent boss that doesn't push you too hard but it's still bottom line my way or the highway the full appreciation for who you are and all those wonderful intangibles and skills that you bring to the table may not be as actively appreciated in the scene that's what we talked about today by doing that you're getting involved get involved with with uh, listen, heck, listen to any podcast that's going to improve your your framework, your gratitude towards all that wonderful learning that's out there that can uh, give you some some new little tidbit on how to enhance your intangibles and and share the best of who you are to everyone that comes in contact with you. To do that, as we talked about here today, as well as we've talked about it in the in the past, you've got a the, the three P's: plan, prepare, and produce. Plan, prepare, produce. So I'm just giving the first one. Just just start with the plan. You know, take some action on, on that plan so that you can fulfill the cycle, right? Plan, prepare, produce. You're going to be working with and collaborating with people in an organizational structure that's going to just rock your world and get you get you excited about what's going on in your world and improve on deliverability of the best of who you are. Just every, every week on a Friday, I look forward to bringing these things to you here uh, through the streaming on KUHS Denver. It's just, it's just a wonderful place to be. It, it gives us the flexibility and uh, the flow. I'm in the flow, delivering the, the messages to you about what we do here at 360 Performance. Once again, I'm Coach Whiteman, also known as Dr. Whiteman, talking to you about performance, mental performance coaching, but performance in general. Today's theme was mental performance coaching and how it can unlock the best of who you are. If you want more information about mental performance coaching, go to my website, 360mindset.com. Take a look at the assessments. Listen to the videos I've got there about kinds of things you can do to collaborate with others, the kinds of things that you can do in communicating what your needs are and asking questions you're not going to get to perfection but if you're trying to catch excellence that feeling you've got to ask about it as it represents it for you 